Well, good morning. Great to see you guys. Would you join with me as we pray? Father, I thank you for the gathering of the saints. I thank you that we comprise a body, and that when every piece of the body is connected and contributing, there's incredible strength, movement, growth, change. And so I pray that as we journey through the text today, I pray we better understand corporately what we are and what we're supposed to be doing as individuals connected to a body, in a kingdom, connected to a king, connected to a plan. So would you give us wisdom, Lord? I pray that your spirit would hover on the water of your word and produce life and growth in each one of us. And I pray that in Jesus' name, amen. So I thought long and hard on how to introduce today the hook, how to get you, and it's one word, demons. Now I'm done. So either you're like, yes, demons, let's go, or you're like, oh, great. Either way, I've got your interest, and that's what I want. So I'll begin today by kind of warning about the two, and I do this quite often, there are two extremes that are unhealthy when it comes to demons and the spirit realm. The first unhealthy side is people that have a fetish with it, like everything's demon. It's like the spirit realm, Satan becomes like Google. He knows everything. He's all powerful and look out. So then you blame Satan for everything. If you have a bad hair day, it was Satan, right? If you don't like your job, it's Satan. If you don't like your house, it's Satan. So it's just this massive kind of thing that you can do where you just blame Satan for everything. Satan made me do it. And I kind of grew up with a little bit of that because during my time in youth group, there was a rite of passage. And the rite of passage for me was to watch Hell's Bells. Who's seen Hell's Bells? Yeah, such an awesome series. They actually made Hell's Bells 2, 3. I think they made like six of them or something. Hell's Bells, the premise of it was real simple. It was if you listen to secular music, Satan will get you. That he will come through the drum beat and the electric guitar and he'll possess your heart and grab a hold of you and then you're going to start biting the heads off of bats and you're going to kill your next door neighbor. Right? It was just, yeah, that's what's going to happen to you. So look out. Like it, was, it was a little bit crazy. So I'm thinking like, really? So I'm listening to, oh, Sherry, you're all alone. Hall of gold, all alone. And then I'm just going to be like, oh, I hate my neighbor and just go stab him. I mean, really, is that going to happen? And it was like taking like for granted, yeah, that's totally going to happen. Like you're going to do that. You're going to kill your neighbor. You're going to be arrested by the police. You're going to be taken downtown. The police will be like, what'd you do? I killed my neighbor. Will you listen to the radio? Yeah. Oh, Sherry? Oh, my goodness. Join the other kids over there. They all did it too. It happened to everyone. There's like 50 people dead. That's naughty, right? It's, it's, it's just crazy. Just the devil made me do it. Satan is everywhere. I'm late for work. Why are you late for work? I got attacked by Satan. Really? My car blew up. Why? Satan's attacking me. Really? Yes, it backfired six times. Six, six, six? Come on. All right? The cloud of smoke looked just like a demon. It came out of the back. All right? No, she drive a Volkswagen. Come on. So that's one side. It's really unhealthy. It's not real. That's not realistic. But the other side is this, not a fetish, but it's a fantasy. Like the spirit realm is a fantasy. Like, come on. We're not superstitious anymore. We don't believe that stuff. You know, that, that was what, what people believed before they could have science measuring everything. And we knew everything. That's like the telegraph. We're modern people now. We don't do that. We don't believe in that stuff. Here's the issue with that. Here's the danger. When you get depressed or when you're overwhelmed by life or when you're even suicidal, here's your only choice. You have to say, okay, there must be something wrong with me. Maybe it's a brain chemistry thing, and that can happen. But you all of a sudden discount any possibility of there being a spiritual source for your issue, right? Or if you're a believer, here's what happens. It's not a spiritual source, it's sin in your life. You're depressed, you're overwhelmed, you're suicidal because you have some kind of unconfessed sin. Start confessing. Or you're not disciplined enough. If you just prayed more, if you just read your Bible more, you wouldn't be depressed, overwhelmed, or suicidal. So that means, like, you're telling me if I read one more chapter of the Bible, I won't be suicidal because I'll totally do that. 
If you're telling me if I'll just pray a little bit more, I won't be depressed because I'll totally do that. That's the message we start sending. And it's very, very dangerous. All right. It sounds a lot like what Job's friends did to him. Was Job's problem sin or lack of discipline? What was Job's problem? Satan was attacking him, right? That was it. Job 1, read it. Satan attacks him. And God actually says about Job, dude's number one, number one most righteous man on earth, all right? So I think there's a balanced way. So what we've been doing in this series is we've been trying to like take a balanced view to things. And if you look at cultures throughout the world, almost all of them believe in some kind of an evil spiritual realm. Islam have, have the jinn. They'd be like demons. Buddhism, which is almost agnostic, like it, it barely believes in God. It's almost agnostic. They have what's called the fanged um, asherahs, these, these creatures that will come and hurt you. Uh, Hinduism has the rakshas that will come get you. If you want to read a uh, compelling book, a hard book, it looks at a very primitive culture in the Amazon. It's called the Spirit of the Rainforest. And it looks at their beliefs about the spirit realm. Fascinating. Just unbelievably scary and fascinating. But here's what I would say. If you're sitting here today and you're a skeptic, you're like, I don't really believe in that stuff. I don't kind of buy it. Here's the question I ask people. Has there ever been an event in your life that you could not explain? You can't measure it. It doesn't fit any of your folders. You just don't know what what in the world happened. Maybe it's you're driving down the road and you have this reoccurring thought that comes into your brain and you think, that's not who I am. Where did that thought come from? Why does it keep coming at me? Why is that? Maybe it's something you've sensed, like in your deep spirit, just evil. I can remember, I can see it in my mind right now, walking down a road in Southeast India by this Hindu temple with all this kind of stuff going on there and having this sense in my spirit of evil, just an oppressive, fearful evil. I just wanted to run, just run. I remember the same feeling when I was on a bike ride in Idaho. Run, this here is evil. Where's that from? Most every person I know can say, yeah, there's stuff I can't explain, and it feels like evil. All right, so the Bible, here's what the Bible does, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring the Bible's perspective on difficult topics. So the Bible presents a case for the spirit realm that I think is very balanced and very important. So here are two things I want to try to do today. Number one, what are demons? And number two, what can they do to me? And what do I do about it? Those are the two things. So let me, before we jump in, lay a simple foundation because people always misinterpret what I'm going to say right now, okay? So here's my my blanket statements before I begin. Number one, Yahweh, it's the name of God in the Bible, we'll talk about that in a second. Yahweh is the creator God. He created everything from nothing. He speaks and it becomes. Before Yahweh, there was nothing. So Yahweh is the triune God that we believe in. He speaks and it becomes. Part of what he creates is this realm of beings that are spiritual in nature. The Bible refers to them as angels. The Bible also refers to them as the sons of God. The Hebrew is benai Elohim. Or sometimes it just refers to these beings as Elohims. So that's this class of beings that are underneath the creator God who creates everything, including these spirit beings, and they're sons of God, angels, Elohim, all right? Now, some of these spirit beings have their wills aligned with God, and they're used by God. So angels are sent, they do war, they bring messages, they feed, they protect. Angels do all that kind of stuff. Those are spirit beings that are aligned with Yahweh, But the Bible also says some are not aligned with God's will and actually actively try to subvert God's will on earth, okay? Does that make sense? If it doesn't, I'll try to clarify it as we go through. God creator creates everything. Some spirit beings, some are for God, some are against God, okay? So that's base statement. I don't believe in multiple gods. I believe in one Yahweh creator God, but I believe in a whole realm of spirit beings, Okay, so I am a monotheist, just to make that real clear. 
Um, when you do not understand something in the Bible, here's what happens. The word Elohim is almost always translated in the Bible, God. Even though it does not always refer to Yahweh, right? Elohim is a title of these spirit beings, but very often our translation just say God. So then when we read a text, we think, oh, that must be, be referring to Yahweh when it's not actually. So it is this misunderstanding of El- Elohim that has led to Mormon doctrines. So if you know Mormon doctrines, one of their doctrines is this, that one day they will become a god and rule over a planet, which always just perplexes me. I love talking to them. I'm like, so really, you? Bro, your tie's not on straight, and your bike has a flat tire. Really? You? Okay? And what they will do, and I've had long conversations with them on this, they will turn you to Psalm 82 and John 10, where Jesus quotes Psalm 82, and they say, look, right there. Well, it's a misunderstanding of this term Elohim that I hope in the process of going through this, we'll understand better. Okay? So we all got that. One creator God makes everything including a class of spirit beings called Elohims, sons of the Elohim, or angels. So now let's go to Genesis 1. You and I have to figure this out. Where do we fit in this created order? So God creates spirit beings, creates earth, creates tangible stuff, creates us. Where do we fit in this? What's our point? What's our purpose? So we get the purpose very early in the Bible. Genesis chapter 1. Listen to this. Verse 27 Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. This is the creation narrative. God creates, speaks day one, it happens, and what does he say when he's all done creating on day one? It's good. Day two, it's good. Day three, it's good. It's good. It's very good, right? So he creates man and woman. He puts them in this very good creation. We call it the Garden of Eden. He plants them there. And then he says this to them. I want you guys to be fruitful and multiply. Go have some babies. Great command. But right after that, he says this, verse 28, fill the earth and subdue it. If you were a Hebrew reader, this term subdue would shock you because it's a warfare term. In fact, it's translated brutally in other places. Not subdue, crush, annihilate. That's the idea. It's a warfare term. So you'd immediately say, what? What's happening here? I thought this Garden of Eden was a good place, a very good place. What's this subdue thing, this crushing, this annihilating? What does that mean? Some people say, well, it speaks of the animal kingdom. No, it doesn't. Because the animal kingdom obeyed Adam in Genesis 2, didn't it? He just calls them and they come out, names them. They were already He already had dominion over that. This is something totally different. That in this good, very good place, there was something that needed to be subdued. What was it? Well, skip forward to Genesis chapter 3. Guess what slithers out of a tree? A snake. And this snake begins to speak to Eve and deceives her and gets her to eat of the forbidden fruit, that this snake is really, really bright, and he does something that somehow subverts God's will for the humans and causes earth to be fractured and thrown into ruin and cursed by God himself. Brutal, right? Well, we find out in Revelation 12, 9, that that serpent, we call him the devil, or he's the dragon of Revelation 12. Bad dude. And this bad dude, the rest of the Old Testament will say, He's got buddies that are just as bad as him. That there's all these bad dudes and that our job was in the very beginning to be those that partner with Yahweh and see this bad dude subdued. I'm convinced that job has not changed for you and me. 
that now we as partners in the new kingdom, in the kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated, we work with him to continue to see his kingdom, his will done on earth as it is in heaven. That's part of our mandate. We continue to push back against darkness and evil and see God's good earth, a colony of heaven created right here, right now. Okay? So that was our original mandate. So Yahweh, here's what Yahweh begins to do. Yahweh begins to differentiate himself, the creator God, from this other class of beings. So skip forward now to Exodus 20. It's going to take a bit for you to grasp this. I understand it. I thought about dividing this into two messages, but I didn't. So there you have it. Chapter 20, verse 1. God now has rescued the people of Israel, brought them out of Egypt. He is now making a covenant with them. It's, it's like a marriage covenant. It's this, hey, I'm covenanting to you, you're covenanting to me. We're going to be one people, one God, one land. We're going to show something. So this is what God says. So God spoke these words, verse 2. I am Yahweh, your God. Where does God get the name Yahweh? At the burning bush, Moses says to this burning bush, you gave me all these commands to do, who do I say sent me? God replies, Yahweh. So the creator God's name, the guy that does all this, the being that does all this, his name is Yahweh. So right here, God is saying, I am Yahweh, your Elohim. Why does God do that? Why does he differentiate himself and say, I'm possessive, your Elohim? Well, because verse three, you shall have no other Elohims before me. Same word. What's God saying? I'm the creator Elohim. I am your Elohim. Don't worship any of these other Elohims, that there are other Elohims around that you could worship if you wanted to. And God was saying, "Uh uh-uh, you're mine. We're covenanting together. Don't have anything to do with these other Elohims. That's what he's saying. Now, some people say, well, an Elohim, a little g God, was just an idol. No, because verse four, he says also, don't have any idols. So God separates them. So God is really differentiating himself from these other Elohims. Okay, so moving forward, one more text in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 32. It shows the same thing. But Deuteronomy 32, to me, is one of the most important texts in the Old Testament. It's brilliant. So here's what God says. Still showing, don't, there's a difference between me and them. Verse 15, Deuteronomy 32. But Jeshurun, that's a nickname for Israel, grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God, Elohim, title, God who made him. Another title God takes throughout the Old Testament is this, I am creator, Elohim. I'm the God that creates. No other God creates. I created every other Elohim, but I am up here, the creator, Elohim. So that's what he's saying right here. You forsook me, the creator, Elohim. And they scoffed at the rock of his salvation. And they stirred him to jealousy with strange Elohims. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no Elohims, to Elohims they had never known, to new Elohims that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. Notice all that Elohim in there. God is saying, I am the creator Elohim. That's who I am. You left me for all these other Elohims. You've forsaken me. So what you see from this point forward is God begins to say there are Elohims over other areas, right? So you see throughout the Bible that, hey, Ashtoreth was the Elohim of the Sidonians. Milcom was the Elohim of the Ammonites. Chemosh was the Elohim of the Moabites. Dagon was the Elohim of the Philistines. That these other areas around Israel had their own Elohims. And God is saying, I'm your Elohim. Does that make sense? That this word is used much broader than the way that we want to use it. And Yahweh is saying, have no other Elohim beside me. I'm it. What's fascinating to me, if you look at Mormon theology, the name of their God is not Yahweh. The name of their God is, guess what? Elohim. That they worship Elohim. They will freely say it to you. 
I'm like, whoo, not sure you want to do that, man. So Yahweh is differentiating himself from the Elohims. I'm not them. I am the creator God, okay? Now, how does this all happen? How did all these other people get to serve all these other Elohims? Well, look back at verse 7. Fascinating little text here. Remember the days of old. Very often scholars say this. When you see days of old, it's always referring to the pre-Abrahamic covenant before Genesis 12. So remember the stuff that happened before I made this promise to your great-great-great-great-great-grandfather. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your fathers, and he will show you. Your elders, and they will tell you. When the Most High, the Most High is another term for Yahweh. He takes it for himself. I'm above everybody else. I'm the Most High God. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind. When was mankind divided in the Bible? Tower of Babel. Perfect, right? What happened in the Tower of Babel? All the people of earth got together, and what they really said was this. We don't need you, Yahweh. We are going to make our own place. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're not going to need to rely on you at all. We're going to do it on our own, right? It was really saying to God, forget you. We want nothing to do with you. So God comes down, he divides their languages, and then the people peel off into their own little places, right? So that's what it goes on to say. He fixed the borders of the people. Listen to this. This is a very important phrase. According to the number of the sons of God. Maybe you have a translation that says sons of Israel there. So there is two major texts that are used to give us the Hebrew Bible. There's the Dead Sea Scrolls, about 200 BC. And then there's the Masoretic texts from about the 9th century AD. The 9th century AD Masoretic texts say the sons of Israel. The ancient, recently discovered 200 BC texts of the Dead Sea say sons of God. I think the Dead Sea Scrolls are right. So this is that term, Benai Ah Elohim. It's God said this at the Tower of Babel. You don't want to serve me? You don't have to serve me. I'm going to give you over to the other Benai Ah Elohim. You want to serve another God? Ashtoreth, Dagon, Molech, go right ahead. So God gave them over the borders of their land, the Sidonians, the Moabites, the Amorites. I'm giving you over to your own God if you want. Go worship that way. But then God says this. It's the remainder of this. But Yahweh's portion is his people, Jacob, his allotted heritage. So God says, you can worship all those other gods if you want to. I'm going to grab one family. And I'm going to bring them in. And they're going to be my crew and I'm going to live with them, and I'm going to show what happens when you serve me, the blessings that come. So Tower of Babel is Genesis 11. What happens in Genesis 12? It's called the Abrahamic covenant. God grabs Abraham and says, hey, bro, here's what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless every person that blesses you. I'm going to give you a land, and in you, every family of earth is going to be blessed. It's God grabbing a hold of Abraham and then his kids and his descendants which should become the nation of Israel and saying this, you're going to walk with me, you're going to learn of me, you're going to be a light to the other nations that are worshiping these Elohims and you're going to learn what it looks like when you serve Yahweh, the blessings and the goodness that come from that. You're to be salt and light for these other nations. That was the purpose God had for these people. All right? So that's this chapter, just phenomenal. And what God is doing is saying, there's a difference between me and them. I am the most high God. I am the creator God. I am the God that will bring you blessings. And from this point forward, really Genesis 11, all the way forward, what you see is there's a battle between two cities. There's the city of Babylon. There's the city of Jerusalem. And they go back and forth for power. That's why the end of the Bible, Revelation has this. Revelation 17 and 18 is Babylon is destroyed and the new Jerusalem descends from heaven and you and I exist in a garden city with our God, with Yahweh for eternity, which is the way we are designed, okay? So that's Old Testament. And the big point is this. There is God, 
Yahweh, who we serve, but then there's underneath him this class of beings, and they're bad news, really bad news. They cause all kinds of hard stuff to happen. So I explain this kind of like this. When people start to really grasp what this means, uh, have you seen the movie Three Amigos? Who's seen that movie? Eh, good enough. I'll, I'll explain it for you. Here, here's the Three Amigos. The Three Amigos is this great little movie, and it's set like back in the 1930s, silent film era, and there's these three guys that are these movie stars in this kind of, it's, it's a weekly uh, show. And so there's a little city in Mexico that gets this show beamed down from them from Hollywood, and they watch it, and they believe it's real. So the three amigos on the show, they're like these cowboys, and they go in if there's like a bully uh, hurting people, they come in and they win the day and they kick the bully out of the town and they're just brilliant. All right? Well, they end up having their show canceled at the same time as this bully starts to move into this city in Mexico. So the city in Mexico calls up to the three amigos and says, can you come down here? Now the three amigos think, oh, we're going down there to make a movie, right? Oh, great. We got a new job. Great. So they go down there. And then the bad guys show up at the same time that they show up. So the three amigos get in their song and dance, their little thing they do. They run around and all this kind of stuff. When one of the bad dudes just pulls out his gun and just goes, Pow! and shoots somebody, shoots Dusty Bottoms. He's like, Pow! He starts bleeding all over the place. And then he realizes, and he has this classic line. You can Google it, just not right now. He says, they're using real bullets. I see the Old Testament and see this warfare look of the Old Testament, and it makes me realize they're using real bullets. Like, they're using real bullets. This thing is serious. There's a kingdom of darkness that is allied together against the kingdom of light. And the reason why there's so much brutality in our world, the reason there's so much evil, the reason there's so much destruction is, guess what? They're using real bullets. That's why... The New Testament says this, it's Ephesians 6, verses 12 all the way down. Hey, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Our battle's not against your neighbor or that other person or the meth head. Guess what our battle is against? Principalities, powers, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. That's the battle right there. That there is a group of people aligned, a group of beings, I should say, aligned against God and his kingdom. That's where our battle is. So put on the whole armor of God. Be ready for it because they use real bullets, okay? So what do we do then? That's what they are. What do we do? Okay, skip forward. Matthew chapter four. Here is the definitive chapter on spiritual warfare in the New Testament. It tells us what can happen and what we do. It's brilliant, okay? And I liken it to this like demons and their thing, I liken it to this. There's a parasite called Toxoplasma gondii. Who's heard of that? Oh, it's so amazing. So I'll explain this parasite. It's crazy. Um, Toxoplasma gondii, its preferred host is a kitty cat. It can only reproduce in a kitty cat. What happens to Toxoplasma gondii is, because of kind of where it lives, you know, it lives in bad stuff, it finds itself living very often in a rat, but it cannot reproduce in a rat. So here's what Toxoplasma gondi does. It moves up to a rat's brain, fiddles with its brain, causes the rat, when it smells cat urine, for the rat to just stay there. Now, why would Toxoplasma gondi do that? It knows the cat's going to come back, and the cat's going to eat the rat. And then guess what Toxoplasma gondi gets to do? Live in a rat and reproduce, or live in the cat and reproduce. I mean, is that unbelievable? Like, it's just crazy. It fiddles with the brain of a rat, so it commits raticide. It's just unbelievable. So about 15 years ago, some scientists started to think, I wonder if it does the same thing to humans. Guess what they found out? It does. Some of them believe in as high as 20% of Americans. I mean, it's crazy to think about that, that it gets in your brain and starts fiddling with you. That's why every single one of us knows about a crazy cat lady. No one knows about a crazy snake lady, but we all know a crazy cat lady. Why? Toxoplasma gandy. Hey, have all these cats around. I mean, it's absolutely crazy, all right? Demons in that whole spiritual warfare thing, I think it's a bit like that, that there is a way that they spill over into us and they affect our lives, affect our thinking if we're not careful. So we have to be the Bible says, not ignorant, 
of the way that they work, all right? So Matthew 4 gives us some real insight into this thing. So check this out, Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil and was fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Number one, Satan meets Jesus, and the very first thing he does is he makes an accusation. Here's the accusation. It's verse three. If you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Satan is saying this. Bro, it's been 40 days since you've eaten. Where's your dad? (laughs) Why aren't you being taken care of? Right? The children of Israel... We're in the wilderness for 40 years. God fed them manna every single day. Bro, you're not getting yours. What's wrong? Did your father forget about you? You ever had that thought come into your brain? Why is everyone else doing well, but I'm not? Why does everyone else get a miracle? Why do they get success? But man, it feels like God's forgotten me. You ever heard that whispered into your brain? Could very well be the accusations of the enemy. Listen to what Jesus said says in response, huge, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. What did Jesus just say there? He says, I'm not living based on my felt needs. I am living my life based on the promises of God. You want to be a spiritual giant? Get that one secret right there. I'm not living based on my circumstances or felt needs or that stuff. I am living based on what God's word says about me and his promises. That's a spiritual giant. I'm not a cultured animal that just needs these kind of needs met. I am more than that. Brilliant. So the enemy will come, number one, and make accusation against us. Number two, then, verse five, the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Satan quotes scripture. Just because someone quotes a scripture to you does not mean it's correct. Satan quotes scripture. As it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to them, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to a test. Satan, take Jesus up, throw yourself down. Why? Because the Bible promises you're going to be taken care of. So Satan quotes scripture, but here's the problem. He misquotes them. So this is deception. Satan will quote Scripture, but guess what? He doesn't quote all of Scripture. Let me read for you what Satan leaves out, what he forgets to quote, what the serpent does not quote to Jesus. Listen to this. It's Psalm 91, verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you. Satan quotes that. On their hand, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Quotes that. He stops right there. Listen to how it goes on. You will tread on the lion and the adder, The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. What does the serpent not quote? You're going to crush my head. That's what he does not quote. I tell people all the time, if you want to be sure you're not deceived by false teaching, read what they don't read. I have listened to teachings and had somebody read a half of a verse and stop, teach on that half of a verse, even though the next half of the verse completely contradicted what they just said. If you want to keep yourself safe, read what they don't read. So Jesus here, his answer is simple. You don't put the Lord to a test. He's quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, where the people tested God like this. Is God really with us? We want to test him. 
We, we want to give him a certain thing he has to do for us in order to prove that he's God and he's with us. Jesus says, you don't do that. You're not to do that. You're not to test God in that way. The key to overcoming deception is knowing the Bible and trusting what it actually says. Trusting God. Do I trust God? Do I trust him with my kids, with my family, with my job? Or am I putting him to a test? I'm going to test you, God. Make sure my kid gets into Harvard, and then I'll believe in you. Make sure I get that raise or that promotion, then I'll believe in you. We're not to do that. So Jesus says, you don't do that. You overcome deception by knowing truth and not testing God. The third one, again, verse 8, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world, all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, and said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Satan takes Jesus up, shows him every kingdom of earth, and says, I'll give all these to you. Did Satan have the right to give all the kingdoms of earth to Jesus? Yes or no? Yes, raise your hand. No, raise your hand. Again, about a third of you vote. <laughs> Who doesn't know? You still got a third. Okay, here's what I believe. I believe in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sinned, they committed treason against God, and they forfeited the rightful rule of earth to Satan. That he is, Jesus calls him, John chapter 12, the prince of this world. Paul calls him the God of this world. Paul calls him the prince of the power of the air. That when Adam and Eve blew it, it was more than just one little sin. It was forfeiting their right to dominion and submission of this world. And they gave that over to Satan. That's why there's so much wreckage in our world. That's why it's that way. And that's why Revelation chapter 5, if you read that, it's there's this scroll that's written on the inside and written on the outside. Okay, if you were a first century person, you would know what that scroll meant. It's a title deed to land. The inside of that scroll would have written out, this is what the land looks like. The outside of that scroll would have these seals put on it, and there would be the redemption clause. Here, if you want to buy this land, here's how you buy it. And so there's this scroll with all this stuff on it, and they keep saying, who is worthy to open the scroll? And, and John starts weeping. Why? Because he knows what it is. That's the title deed to earth. Who can redeem earth? Who can free earth from its tyranny? Who can set earth free from the tyranny of this prince of the power of the air, this wicked, wicked ruler, usurping the throne? And what's their answer? Then I saw a lamb as just having been slain, and worthy is the lamb to unlock the seals that lock up the scroll. It's the big story. Yeah, we, we forfeited earth. And right now there's a usurper on the throne. Jesus inaugurated a new kingdom, and he's spreading right now. But ultimately, Satan had the right, I'll give you these. Okay? Just unbelievable. So we read this last one, and this last one I call temptation. I think most of us kind of read it and go, what? I'm never tempted like that. Right? I have never had a guy come to me and say, Matt, last night you would not believe what happened. What, bro? This goat-headed demon showed up in my room and said this. If you will bow down and worship me, I will make you the next winner on American Idol. Bro, that show got canceled. I knew he was lying to me. Man, I've never had that, right? Greed, lust, I can get all that kind of like. We, and we think, no, this doesn't apply to me at all. Yes, it does. Here's how. When you look at the big story of the Bible, God, I believe fundamentally his character is he's a really good guy, really good God, brilliantly loving us. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only son. Like the depth of God's, depths of God's love, it's, it, they're brilliant beyond what we can even imagine. That God loves us. That's the fundamental thing about his character. Good, loving God. And when we fractured the earth in Genesis chapter 3, it broke God's heart. It broke his heart. Because he knew this. Oh, life is going to get tough. There's going to be wars. The good earth that I had for you guys is going to be fractured with disease. Okay? So here's what Satan is saying to Jesus. If you worship me right now, I run up the white flag. War's over. How big of a temptation is that for Jesus? 
You do this right now. All the pain that you hate, all the pain that you're coming to defeat, it ends right now. The fact that every 30 seconds a child dies from malaria, that ends today, Satan would say. The fact that there are 450,000 foster kids in America, that ends. The 350 here in our own little county. Women that get abused and raped and pillaged, that ends today. Diseases that ravage people you love, cancer, it ends today. How great of a temptation is that for Jesus? It's unbelievable. It's Satan putting everything he has on the table right here. This is all I have. You do this, I run up the white flag. But here's what he says. Don't do it through the cross. That's his thing. You can do it any way you want by worship me, but do not do it through the cross. I think it's the same temptation that comes to you and me as well. Hey, have your cause. Fight for social justice. Whatever it might be, recycle. Recycle the earth, recycle your hair, recycle everything. But don't bring the cross into it. Don't bring Jesus into it. The same temptation. Because Satan knows this. If you do any of those causes separated from the cross, then guess what happens? You end up worshiping something else. You worship and serve something else, something that Satan controls instead. So here's Jesus' response. Be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. I love that. He rebukes him and says, no way. You're wrong. Here's the application for us. It's this. It's no way. I belong to the kingdom of light. I belong to King Jesus. I don't do that dark stuff. I don't worship Satan. I don't do that. That's what he's saying here, okay? So this to me is the the definitive text. Here's the question it brings up for believers. What can a demon do to me as a believer in Jesus Christ? What can he do to me? Can he possess me? Every single denomination I know says no. A believer cannot be possessed by a demon. Can he oppress me? I think yes. Can he attack me? I think yes. Why? Happened to Jesus. Why was Jesus attacked? Was it some secret sin he had in his life? No. Jesus didn't have a secret sin. Was it because his dad was involved in the occult and brought a generational curse down on Jesus and now he is reaping the rewards of his dad's sin? No. No. Right? Is it because he had some kind of a tribal mask from Africa and it was like a portal that the demon kind of jumped through to get him? No. Was it because he listened to heavy metal secular music in the 1980s? <laughs> really bad heavy metal. And, and that's the, no, right? Why was Jesus attacked? Because he's on the other side of the battle. Why was Job attacked? Because he's on the other side of the battle. That there is two kingdoms. There's a Babylon and there's a Jerusalem. There's a kingdom of light and there's a kingdom of darkness. And they are clashing. That's why. Jesus was attacked because he's on the other side. Well, Matt, that's scary because he can attack me. Right. They're using real bullets. That's his message. They're using real bullets. Well, what do I do? You do exactly what Jesus did right here. Jesus gave you and me the same power that he has. It's Luke chapter 10. You can cast out demons. I'm giving you that power. Okay? So here's what you do. Number one, you identify it. You go back to Genesis when the serpent deceives Adam and Eve. God asks a couple questions of them. First, like, dude, why are you hiding? He goes, because I'm naked. And then God asks this, who told you you were naked? That to me is a fundamental question Christians should ask themselves. Who told me this information? I deal with people that are all messed up, young men, ladies. That's one of the main questions I ask them. Who told you that? Because Satan wants to attack men in our competency. Men want to be known as competent. I'm competent. I can do my job. Satan comes at you and me with this lie, usually because we were wounded somehow by a dad, by a person in our past. He comes at us and says, you're an incompetent fool. You're right. You're always going to be an incompetent fool. Yeah, I know. You're lazy and good for nothing. Yeah, I know. That's how Satan attacks us. So when people tell me that, I say, who told you that? Who told you that lie? Bro, it takes no faith to believe a lie. Why do you keep believing that? Stop believing that lie. Women, it's a different task. Women want to be loved, secure, safe. And so Satan's attack of them is something usually very different. It's you're never going to be loved. Not if people knew who you really were. Not if people know what you've done. You'll never be loved. You're always going to be fat. You're always going to be ugly. You're never going to be loved. So when people say that to me, I say, who told you that? 
Because maybe, just maybe, you're believing a demon right now. And it is keeping you under its thumb because you're believing a lie. It's the one weapon the enemy has today. It's lies. That's it. Every other weapon of the enemy was crushed by the cross. He has one thing left, deceit. That's why Jesus calls him John 9, John 8, excuse me, the father of lies. You got to ask number one, who's telling me this? Because yeah, the world will lie to me, no doubt about it. The world will tell me, Matt, if you don't get an iPhone 6, you're nobody. Right, I got to get an iPhone 6, right? So the world will lie to me. I'll lie to myself, right? I've got to have that. If I don't have it, I'm so, you know, I'll lie to myself. So the first step for me as a believer is to identify, where's that coming from? Is that a lie of the enemy to me? It's number one. If it is, you do what Jesus did. What do you do? Number one, he resisted it. How did Jesus resist the lies? Three times, it is written. How, is it, how important is it for you to know this battle plan? Man, it's so important. So important to know this battle plan. Three times it's written. Number two, he rebukes. Jesus says to Satan, be gone. Guess what hap- happens to Satan? He's gone. Jesus does not enter into a long dialogue with Satan telling him about how his power and how he has to go. Like you read or you um, watch these shows now, they have these exorcism shows. To me, it's nutty. Like the girl's head is doing a 360 and there are conversations and hours and hours. I don't see that in the Bible. In Mark chapter eight, Jesus, Matthew chapter eight, Jesus casts out a demon with one word. He says, go, go, I'm done with you. Not a dialogue. We're kids of the kingdom. Forget you, get out of here. And then lastly, verse 11 the devil left him, and angels came and were ministering to him. I think as believers, we need to be continually renewed. There should be a lifestyle in my life that represents something brilliant and powerful. So you have in Mark 9, the, the disciples cannot cast out a demon. And they say, why not? Jesus says, because this one does not come out, come out but by prayer. And some translations say fasting. That you need to have a lifestyle that's pure or else look out. So I don't believe in generational curses and that kind of stuff, but I do believe if I start dabbling in stuff I should not dabble in, look out. Ephesians 4 says this, that you can give a stronghold, a foothold to the enemy. Acts chapter 19, there were seven guys that started fiddling with things they should not fiddle with. They're called the seven sons of Sceva. They get this demon-possessed man in a house and they say, hey, bro, um, uh, in the name of Jesus that Paul's preaching about, we want you to come out of this guy. Pretty please. Guess what the demon dude does? He goes, I know Jesus, and I've heard about Paul, but I don't know who you guys are. And he jumped on them, beat the snot out of them, and kicked them out of the house. We don't meddle with stuff. The church, in response to that, they, it says they grabbed all their occultic stuff together, and they burned it. Like, we don't want anything that might give an avenue for the enemy to have a foothold in my life. I'm burning this junk. See, I don't meddle with junk. Maybe you saw a year ago, they had that Charlie, Charlie demon from Mexico thing. Did you see that? If you didn't, good. Don't even worry about it. Do not YouTube that. Where they started trying to call up this demon from Mexico, and he did. He came and did crazy stuff, and people were freaking out about it. I don't dabble in that kind of stuff. And because I don't dabble in that kind of stuff, guess what? I have no fear. I'm not afraid of Satan. I'm not afraid of demons. No way. Don't live a pure lifestyle. Be full of truth so there's no room for lies. Praise God. Be in prayer. Fast if you want to. That's what we live. We live pure, okay? So here's what I think, just in conclusion. I think if you are a believer doing those things, you got nothing to be afraid of. Zero. That revelation, we looked at it last week, says they overcame him. Romans chapter 8 says that we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 1 says this, that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of love and power and soundness of mind. 1 John 4 says, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I have no fear of the enemy, none whatsoever. Am I aware of him and aware that there's a battle? Absolutely. But I'm afraid of him. I know what I am. The one tool he has is a lie. Matt, you're never going to change. You're always going to be this way. No one likes you. I just say, no way. I am, listen to me, you are this. This is what you are. You are a king, you are a queen in training right now. Do you know that? That you and I are going to rule the world with King Jesus. That we are a royal priesthood, kings and queens for King Jesus. That's what we are. When you start knowing your identity, then guess what? He has no room to lie to you and deceive you. That his work 
will be finished in me and you. It's a promise, Philippians 1.6. So when the enemy lies, you're never going to be changed. You're always going to be this way. I say, no way. I use God's truth. I use God's truth. That you and I were future kings and future queens, and God is going to complete that work in me and in you. That eye has not seen and ear has not heard the wonderful things that God has in store for you and me. That's the kingdom we belong to. In the kingdom of light, darkness doesn't exist. It drives it out. And so, Father, I thank you that your kingdom has come, that, Jesus, you have crushed the serpent's head, that he has one thing left. It's his forked tongue. And so I pray, Lord, when the accusations come against us, deception, temptation, I pray that we would respond like Jesus did, resisting to the truth of your word in submission to it. I pray for any that are in here this afternoon, if they are dabbling in things that are dark, I pray that they would renounce the kingdom of darkness, renounce the deeds that are dark, and turn to the kingdom of light. I pray for those that are in here, in here who have been believing the lies of, this, of the enemy, believing the curse that he brings upon us. I pray that today they would be able to identify those lies, identify those voices, and that they could, they could be set free by the very truth of Jesus Christ, the truth of the gospel, the truth that they have been selected by you, that he has placed his love and his seal upon us, that we become more than conquerors through him, that we have not been given a spirit of fear, but of love and power and soundness of mind, that we would stop believing the lies. It takes no faith to believe the lie of an enemy, that we'd start putting our faith in what the Bible says about us, that we're a royal priesthood, that we are destined to rule and reign by your side for eternity in a garden city called New Jerusalem, that that's our destiny, that one day Babylon, with all of its sin and all of its darkness and all of its deceit, is going to be wrapped up and thrown into a lake of fire and consumed. And that right now we get to partner with you in seeing your kingdom come and your will be being done on earth as it is at this very moment in heaven. Help us to be people that understand that. Courageous, vocal, victorious, future kings and queens. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.